Luke chapter number 3. Now before we get into our reading this text this morning, I want you to take a moment in your own mind, how would you answer this question? Okay, just imagine that uh, you've gone to the mall or you're in some public place and somebody shows up, they got a video camera, microphone, and they ask you, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now that question was asked of several adults at a mall just outside of Dallas, Texas about 10 years ago. It was done through just random, you know, person-on-the-spot interviews. And uh, it was conducted by a staff member of a fairly prominent church in that area. And the answers may surprise you. The very first uh, time it was asked, it was asked of a, a man. And uh, the interview asked, it says, who is Jesus? And the guy looked at him and he said, that's a trick question. He laughed and says, I don't know how to answer that. The man then moved on to a lady that was there in the mall and asked her, and she said, I believe he was a real person and that he died on a cross, but I don't believe he was God's son. He moved on to another man and he said, he was, you know, um, he, he was just another person that found religion and all that. I mean, I mean, he's nothing like, um, he's, of course, a good person and all that. And he's really a big part of religion, so you know. All people find religion, um, and, and, and all people that find religion are important. People have different views. He finally asked a, a third man, and the man answered this. He said, he is a... And then he turns to his companion and says, help me out here. And the other guy shrugs his shoulders, and he said, Jesus Christ is um, the Son of God? Now that day, in the course of about an hour of interviews, not one person came close to giving a biblically accurate answer to the question. Unbelievable, isn't it? Now the pastor who sent the staff member out to conduct that survey was surprised because Dallas, Texas, I mean, it's an up-and-coming city, but it still is kind of right in the heart of the Bible belt. He was astounded that so many people could not answer a simple question. Who is Jesus? It's one of the most important questions that we have to answer concerning the Christian faith. It is central to how we come to have a relationship with God, how we are saved from our sins, how we live a Christian life. And the answer really can be stated in a single sentence. But it's so important that as we go through Luke's gospel... Luke will bring us back to that question again and again, as he will in the reading of our text this morning. He wants us to think biblically and correctly. He wants to know what we as Christians can most assuredly believe about Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter number 3, I'm going to ask you to stand together morning, uh, this morning for the reading of the Bible. We're going to pick up our reading in verse number 21. With the baptism of Jesus, then we're going to go all the way to the end and read through the genealogy of Jesus. Exciting stuff there. Verse 21. I'll read aloud and ask you to follow along as I read. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. 
And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Janna, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Matthias, which was the son of Amos, which was the son of Nahum, which was the son of Esli, which was the son of Nagi, which was the son of Maoth, which was the son of Mattathias, which was the son of Simei, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of Resa, which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Southiel, which was the son of Neri, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Adai, which was the son of Kosam, which was the son of Elmodam, which was the son of Ur, which was the son of Jose, which was the son of Eliezer, which was the son of Jorim, which was the son of Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Simeon, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joseph, which was the son of Jonan, which was the son of Eliakim, which was the son of Melus, which was the son of Manan, which was the son of Matha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Salmon, which was the son of Naasen, which was the son of Amminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Ezra, which was the son of Pharaohs, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Terah, which was the son of Nahor, which was the son of Saruch, which was the son of Ragal, which was the son of Phalak, which was the son of Heber, which was the son of Salah, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Maliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? How would you answer that this morning? Father, I pray this morning as we have read your word. And Lord, there's a very important reason why you took the time to record for us the human lineage, as it's supposed, of Jesus, your son. Father, to call attention to his baptism because we need to know who Jesus is to be able to understand correctly what he is meant to mean to our lives and the difference that he makes. I pray this morning, God, as we pause and we let you speak, that you would empty me of self, you would fill me of your, with your spirit, and you would accomplish your purpose in every word in what is uh, spoken this morning. I pray, Lord, there's somebody here that's never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior from sin. They would do that today. Others may need just to reconnect with you in different ways, in ways that we'll talk about this morning. I pray, Lord, by the time we come to the end of service, we'll each know what we ought to do because of what you have said to our hearts personally. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So when it comes to the question of the identity of Jesus, uh, many people arrive at one of two answers. One answer is that Jesus was a great man. He was a good teacher, but he was not God. 
He was someone that we ought to admire, but not someone that we should worship. Now, a Chinese student that was studying in the United States gives us a second answer. She said, I can accept that Jesus was a God, but I don't think he was a human being. And her reasoning was pretty simple. She knew that no human being could do the miraculous things that Jesus has done. I mean, people struggle. Is Jesus God or is he a man? Well, if Jesus wasn't human, then why do we have a human genealogy given to us? Why does God go to such great pains on our behalf to connect Jesus to the human stream of history? If Jesus wasn't human, why the genealogy? And if Jesus wasn't God, then why do so many New Testament writers take great pains to point out that he is, in fact, the Son of God? Was Jesus human or was he God? Well, the answer is, Jesus was God who became human. He was God who entered this world as a man by means of the virgin birth. Luke records that here in this baptism. He was the son of God. We hear the voice of God from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, understand this. When we say that Jesus was God who became man by means of the virgin birth, we mean that Jesus was God before he became man, and he was still God even as he walked on this earth in human flesh. He never ceased being God. He is God who became man that he might be the savior of all men. They say, why does it matter that we understand this? Well, number one, because the Bible teaches it. It's not up for grabs. We don't get to decide what we believe about Jesus. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is God who became man, and he did so that he might become the savior of all mankind. Now, up to this point, Luke's emphasis in his gospel has been on the deity of Jesus Christ. He hasn't overlooked the humanity, but his emphasis has been on the deity of Christ. He wants us to know Jesus is God who became man. Now, we won't take the time to look back, but back in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Gabriel announced that he would be called the Son of God. In Luke 1, 43, Elizabeth responded to the babe in Mary's womb, that unborn baby, responded to him as her Lord, a term of deity. She recognized that Mary was carrying God in her womb, her Lord in her womb. In Luke 2.11, Jesus was introduced to the shepherds as Christ the Lord. In Luke 2.49, the only incident that's recorded from the childhood of Jesus is meant to tell us that Jesus knew that God was his father and that he was God's son. He said, I must be about my father's business. So Luke has taken great pains that you and I understand. Before Jesus became man, Jesus was God. And he doesn't lose sight of that fact here in this text. Uh, he gives us a, a, what I consider to be a, a glimpse of the most mind-blowing teaching in the Bible. And that is that the one God of heaven exists as three distinct persons. We describe that by saying that our God is a trinity. And you see that here in the baptism of Jesus Christ. All three persons of the trinity were active 
at the moment Jesus was baptized. God the Spirit descended upon Jesus in a visible form as a dove. God the Father spoke from heaven and acknowledged his pleasure in the Son. And of course you have God the Son who presented himself to John to be baptized. Our God is just one God, one supreme being. He is unlike any other being in existence. There's just one God, and he is God. But our God exists as three distinct persons. Say, can you explain that for me? No. But I can declare it to you because the Bible says it. The Father spoke, the, the Spirit descended, and the Son was there upon his Father's business preparing to do the public ministry for which he had been called. So again, Jesus is the Son of God who became man. And if I can put it like this, that he might reconnect us to God. See, one of the things that we just want to see this morning is our God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And for you to know God, okay, you must live in relationship to all three. There is a relationship that you have with God, who is God the Father. You have a relationship with God, who is God the Son. And you have a relationship with God, who is God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came, this we call getting saved, being born again. It's bringing us back into relationship to the God of creation. The God who created Adam in the garden and took a rib from his side and formed Eve. And from those two, the entire human race came. That God, who has always been a three-in-one God. That God, you and I lost our relationship to him through the sin of Adam in the garden. We proved our lostness by the sinful lives we lived. Jesus came, not just so we could have forgiveness of our sins. How many of you are glad that you can have forgiveness of your sins? But his purpose is to bring us back in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I want us to look at the baptism this morning and see uh, some truths here that God has for us. It's really at the heart of the Christian faith. It's one of those things that's easily overlooked. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we kind of think of this doctrine of the Trinity kind of like your appendix. You know that it's there, but you don't know what it's supposed to do. Well, this morning we hope to take it on and tell you it's there. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I want to hopefully show you a little bit about why it's important to you in your walk of faith this world as a believer in Jesus Christ. You notice, first of all, that Jesus came that you and I might know him. Jesus came that you and I might know him, the Son of God, the one who sacrificed himself for our sins, the one who sacrificed himself to save us from our sins. And we see that illustrated in the baptism. Uh, again, if you just look at verse number 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. Now, we don't know how long the ministry of John the Baptist had been going on. Uh, we touched on it a couple weeks ago. But John's ministry was a ministry of preaching repentance. Okay? The baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. And so however long it's been that John's been doing that, all the people that would be baptized had been baptized. Uh, whenever it says that 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 all had been baptized in verse 21, it doesn't mean that every man, woman, boy, and girl in, 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 uh, in Palestine had come to John and been baptized by John. 
It's simply telling us that the, the crowds have come. Those that would respond to his preaching have responded. Uh, all those who would be baptized for all practical purposes have been baptized. Uh, the, the ministry of John the Baptist has peaked, as John knew it would, because it was time for the ministry of Jesus to begin. And so it's at that point, whenever the, the, there's not many people coming to be baptized anymore, uh, when you just don't see the same crowds there anymore, uh, John has begun to decrease. Jesus comes on the scene. It's time for him to increase. And so he presents himself to be baptized. John's ministry coming to an end, that Jesus' ministry might begin. And again, John launched his ministry by identifying, by baptism, those who'd been converted by his preaching. John, John wanted to identify. He marked those people who had repented and had received the remission of their sins by baptism. Now, again, just by way of review, that word remission is a word associated with our guilt. It has to do with receiving a pardon. So one thing you can take home with you this morning is when you read words like the remission of sins and the forgiveness of sins, and we all need that, there are no innocent people in this world. Sometimes we wonder why bad things happen to innocent people. There are no innocent people in this world. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all uh, 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 stand condemned before God and in need of his pardon until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the prerequisite to receiving that pardon is repentance. Uh, with that, that change of mind that leads to a change of life. We have to own up to what we are. We are sinful people. Okay? We are people who lie and cheat and steal and deceive. I mean, we certainly don't do everything that God's law tells us to do, do we? We are guilty of breaking God's laws. Repentance means I own up to that fact. I am a sinner. If I were to be judged by God, I would be condemned in my sin. What I need is God's forgiveness. I need something done about my guilt. Jesus Christ came as the answer. Baptism pictured for those people is it was a testimony that they had repented, that they had confessed their sinfulness, and they'd put their faith in the coming Messiah that John had been preaching. John had told him he's coming. Okay. Uh, he is coming, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He'll baptize some with fire, but he's coming. And so their baptism was a profession of faith. They had repented of their sins. God had pardoned them, and so their baptism marked them as such individuals. But there was a symbolism to their baptism, and that's why Jesus was baptized. Jesus was not baptized as a testimony of salvation. Jesus had no sins. He's God. Okay. God cannot sin. So Jesus had no sins. He had no need of repentance. Say, so why then was he baptized? Because of what baptism pictures. Baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason why Jesus was baptized to begin his public ministry was in a manner of bearing witness of people. I have come to do what my father sent me to do. I will be crucified on the cross. I will be buried in the grave. And on the third day, I will rise again in victory. 
It's because Jesus Christ did come and die on the cross. It's because he was buried and he did rise again that you and I can know him and through him be saved from our sins. It's because of Jesus' identification with Calvary that the Father expressed his pleasure in the Son at his baptism. Jesus was committing himself to finishing the work God had sent him to do. And it pleased the Father that his Son would do that. It pleased God that Jesus would die on our behalf and rise again for us because it meant that he could give us the forgiveness he desired us to have. It pleased the Father because that meant that he could pardon you and forgive you because of what his son had done. God, Jesus came in this world. The Son of God became man that you and I might know him and through him the forgiveness of sins. I just want to say this morning, no one will ever know the Father apart through, from faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said as much. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But once you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you not only know Jesus, you know the Father. You know the Father. It's because you know the Father that you can then begin to experience the Father's care the way Jesus did through prayer. If you look again at verse number 22, uh, excuse me, verse 21, it says, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized, and then notice, and praying. And praying. Now just for the record, Luke says more about the prayer life of Jesus than any other of the gospel writers. He lets us know that our Savior during his earthly ministry communed with his Father frequently through prayer, through the means of prayer. And so the Son of God, this, the God who became man for us, he lived his life as a man, as a praying man. You'll see that as we go through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, because Jesus was living in this world the same way that you and I have to live, he lived as a praying man. And you'll read of him praying when he needed to make crucial decisions in his life. Uh, you'll read him praying for others, asking God to do works on behalf of other people. Uh, you'll hear him praying, expressing his gratitude, thanksgiving to God for the things that God has done. Uh, Jesus was a praying man. He walked this world and conducted his ministry as a praying man. And, and you have to understand, the prayers of Jesus were not for his benefit. They were for ours. The prayers of Jesus, the prayer life of Jesus, it was not for his benefit, it was for ours. It was to point us to our need of the Father and his care for our lives. Uh, let me t just tell you something. As believer in Jesus Christ, you have privileges that the unbeliever doesn't know, have. When you don't know what to do, the Father does, and you can ask him. Now, do you remember when you were a child? Do you remember going to your father for help? Do you remember having problems and talking to your dad and saying, I, I don't know what to do, and your dad offering you counsel and advice and wisdom to deal with those things? Great is the child that has a father like that that proves helpful to him in life. But you have a heavenly father as God's child. You say, I don't know what to do. He does, and you can ask him for the help that you need. You can experience the father's care through prayer. 
When we're in need, we can ask our Father to provide. When we're burdened for others, we can ask our Father to intervene in their lives. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't pray for his own benefit. He prayed for our benefit. He wanted us to know that when you came to know him, you came to know the Father. And as he had a relationship with the Father, you now have a relationship with the Father, the Father who cares for you. The image of Jesus praying teaches us that we too can experience the Father's care through prayer. And then finally, we can also experience the Spirit's power as we seek to accomplish God's purpose and plan for our lives. The heaven was opened, the Bible says, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. The Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus was to point us, again, to our need of divine power to live the life for which we have now been saved. Uh, the visible manifestation of the Spirit in the form of the dove, it was like the prayers of Jesus. It was not for his benefit. Jesus had lived in communion for all eternity with God the Father and God the Spirit. He, 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 he was very aware of the Spirit's person and his presence. That descending in the image like a dove, that was for you and me. So that we would know that in our human walk in this world, we too as God's people can now have divine help in our life. The spiritual power on the inside to live the life to which we've been called. What was happening here is, is Jesus okay, is revealing who God is. At the baptism, God is revealing to us who he is. He is God the Father, he is God the Son, and he's God the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know him in all his fullness. He wants you to experience all three persons of the Trinity. He wants you to live in relationship with the Father. He wants you to live in relationship with the Son. He wants you to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that you have all of God in your life and you can know all that God can do in your life. This God who is three in one. The Trinity. God was revealing who he is. The Son of God lived as a man in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because that's how you and I as saved men and women have to live. See, God wasn't just revealing who he was. God was revealing who we are. We are men and women in need of the enabling, overcoming power of the Spirit of God in my life. Have you ever been at a place in your Christian life where you know that you've come to the end of yourself and you need something more than you to be able to overcome that sin, break that habit, change, make that change, do that ministry. You just realize that you've come to the end of yourself, you've given all that you had to give, and it's not enough. Most of us have. It's a common Christian experience. At that point, what God wants you to know is, it was never about you. You have all you need in the Spirit of God who has come into your life as a believer. See, though Jesus was the Son of God, as the virgin-born child of Mary, he would not live apart from the power of the Spirit. I want you to hear that again. 
though Jesus was the everlasting son of God, as the virgin-born child of Mary, he would not live apart from the power of the Spirit. And it's not because he could not, but we cannot. Jesus is not only revealing to us who God is, he's revealing to us who we are. There's a story about Muhammad Ali. He was on a plane preparing to take flight, and it was time for everybody, you know, the flight attendants were going through, and the flight attendant noticed that his seatbelt wasn't buckled. And so she said, Mr. Ali, you'll need to buckle your seatbelt, please. And right away he quipped, and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she later said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> the reality is there are no supermen in Christianity. We all need what only the Spirit of God can impart to our life. Our humanity gives us so many abilities, but it's not sufficient for us to lead a life pleasing to God. Myself, you, every Christian you know is utterly dependent upon God's Spirit to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives. If you want to become more like Jesus, you'll have to cooperate with what the Spirit does in your life to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. If you want to become that man, woman, or teenagers in whom others can see the love of God or the peace of God or the joy of God, you will have to live a life in dependence upon God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is a person. That person lives within you, your constant companion, God's presence in your life at all times. God the Spirit present in you. He is there to impart his enablement to you. He's there to impart spiritual resources to you. He's there to activate God's grace in you. God's spirit lives in you. And that truth is meant to give you and I the assurance. I mean, in, in all the days of our lives, in the ups and downs, in all the struggles that we have to be what we know that God would have us to be, he wants us to know that it is not dependent on us figuring out how to do this. God is not expecting us to make the changes of our own effort into what he wants us to be. We have one inside of us who can do things that we could never do ourselves. He can make changes that we could never make. He can perform works that we could never perform. We have one within us who can transform our lives and equip us to be all that God would have us to be. Say, who is Jesus? Wow. Jesus is God who became man that our lives might be connected to God in all his fullness. God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, and God, the Father. Through your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you can come to know Jesus, the Son of God. You can know him personally. You will know him as the one who died on Calvary's cross, made a complete payment for your sin, shed his blood so that you could be forgiven, died, was buried, and rose again. He's not a dead Savior. He's a living Savior. He's in heaven today. He's a part of your life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you come to know God the Son, Jesus. 
But then you begin to experience in the relationship that you have now with a Father in heaven. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. That Father has always loved you. He's always cared for you. He's always wanted to help you. And now he can. Because you're his child through faith in his son, Jesus. You struggle you find it difficult to live the Christian life. Most of us go through three stages in our Christianity. First, we think being a Christian is going to be easy. And then we're going to think it's hard. And then we're going to think it's impossible. <laughs> it's at that point that you're ready to see what God in his spirit can do in your life that you cannot do. Jesus is the son of God who came in this world as a man that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he might reconnect you to God in all his fullness. Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's not God's will for just some men. It's his will for all men. That is why the Son of God entered the stream of human history. And we have his, his lineage recorded from here. Mary was his mother. God was his father. But he tells us, that he was raised in his family by Joseph, as was supposed. And then we read this lineage, traced back from Joseph all the way to the first man, Adam. Adam, who had no father, so you can rightly say that God was his father because God created him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, our faith in him, he can reconnect us to all that God is the relationship that god offers you this morning is to know and experience him as father son and spirit by the way that's the answer to every problem this world is struggling with what's missing is god god it's sin that separates us and keeps him out of our life bringing him in brings us in contact with the one who can change everything about us you know, if there was some other way to reconnect to the Father, Jesus would not have had to come into this world and die on the cross for our sins. I mean, if you could save yourselves by your own good works, if you could know God on the basis of your merits, then the life and death of Jesus was pointless. Makes no sense for God to come in as man if we can handle the problems of life and sin on our own, but we can't. We all need God. So I want to ask you three very specific questions this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your personal Savior from sin? I didn't ask if you're religious. I didn't ask if you're a good person. What I want to know, has there been a time in your place when you've experienced that work of repentance? You realize that you're a sinner. And no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to save yourself. You can never undo any of the sins you've done. You can pray as much as you want, give as much as you want, go to church as much as you want. In the end, you'll still be a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. The only hope of salvation you have, I have, anyone has, is Jesus Christ. Because he's the only savior that God has provided for mankind. There has to be a day when we, when we, we just come to our senses, so to speak. We realize, I am a sinner. If I don't do something, I'm going to go to hell. And the only option offered to me 
is Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you? Now, if you say, Pastor, I, I've done that, fantastic. If you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I've done that. The most important question in life is what you do with Jesus. I mean, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who became man, that he might save you from your sins, then you need to put your trust in him to save you. Have you done it? Say, yes, I have. Then number two, how's your relationship with the Father? That's a relationship that is primarily built upon our prayer life. It's the way we talk to the Father. It's the way he communicates with us, takes this book and makes it real in our life. How's your prayer life, Christian? It's, it's one thing to talk about being God's child, but we nurture that relationship between a father and his child through prayer. How's your prayer life, Christian? Jesus would not go through this life without a prayer life because you and I cannot. How's your prayer life? How's your relationship to the Spirit of God? Again, is the Holy Spirit like that appendix? Yeah, you know he's there, but you don't know really what he does. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you to equip you to do the things that you could never do to become the person that God has saved you to be. How's your relationship to the Holy Spirit? Do you walk in the Spirit? Do you experience his fullness in life? See, God in grace has made it possible for you to know and experience God in all his triune fullness. The Father who loves you, the Spirit who changes you, and the Son who sacrificed himself to save you. Where do you need to start your relationship with God this morning? I want to stand, please, every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed, please.